them with me. So, as we get started, though, here today, I wanted to start today with a story. And it's a story about a movie called The Big Short. I don't know if anyone have heard of that movie before, but it's The Big Short. It's a movie in 2015 that came out, and it's about the 2008 housing crisis. And it's a story uh, starring this person named Michael Berry, who played the role of Christian Bale, who also played Batman. Maybe you know him there. Uh, but he's this character that he ended up doing what was called a credit swap that he believed that the market was going to drop. He saw that there was a bubble happening in the, in the stock market, and he believed that the bubble was going to pop. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to bet against the market. And this was an absolutely astronomical thing that the stock analysts, everyone was like, what in the world are you doing? This is not going to fail. Well, these other people started to come along, and there was this other character named Mark Baum who played the role of Steve Carell. He was the character. And he started to do more research into this. And he started looking into what was called these CDOs, these collateral debt obligations. Basically, what they were is they were combining these different debt organizations and they were putting them together and it was based upon someone's credit. And what they would do is if someone had bad credit, they would combine it and then they would do these labels. And it was called a triple A label. They were saying, you know what, this has someone that has really good credit. But what they were doing is they were lying. They were taking all these bad people with bad credit and then aligning them together. And they were just saying, you know what, this is amazing. And they were labeling it as this triple A. And it was causing this massive bubble in the market. And they, again, were betting against it. And it is in all of this, they were seeing the corruption that was taking place, seeing all of this negative reality of what was happening in the market. And they were saying, you know what, it's going to fail. And yet no one believed them. They were, they were trying to go to people, this is not going to work. But still, no one believed them. And 2008 came along, and sure enough, the housing market crashed, and, and I'm sure many people in here today were affected by that crash. And that same thing is true of the story we're going to look at in the Bible today. Is we're going to look at a story, we're going to look at a book in the Bible, a prophet, and it's a story about someone going to the people of Israel saying, this is going to take place. There's evil. There's corruption taking place right under your nation. And if you don't change, if you don't repent of what's taking place in your life, guess what? Judgment is going to come. There's going to be a result. There's going to be a consequence for your actions. And it's with that today that if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Amos. And today we're going to do an overview of the book of Amos. And I realize, and I know you guys have been reading through the Old Testament this year. So this is where today I got, I got a couple goals for us today. That I know you guys are just finishing up the book of Psalms this week, and then next week you're hopping in the Proverbs. But here very soon is you're going to start going through the different prophets. So today, what I want to do for you today is, one, you guys have been reading through the Old Testament, is, one, I want to give you an overview of your Bible. I want to give you an overview of your Old Testament, help you understand where we're going, because what I also want to do is, I want to give you an overview of how you're going to pre like prepare you to how you're going to read your prophets. Of The prophets can be kind of a very confusing books, and I want to give you some guide rails, some understanding that allow you to have some success when you go to read your prophets. 
And the way I'm going to do that is we're going to, again, look at the entire Bible, look at how we can understand the prophets, and then we're going to apply that and we're going to look at the book of Amos as kind of a test study for us to be able to understand that. And then we're going to be able to go from that, apply the book of Amos to our lives. So it's with that that I need your participation. Because first, I, I need to give you kind of an overview of your Bible. So I need your participation, and I need you to clap with me. If you can clap, kids, I encourage you. This is going to be a fun activity. So I'm going to say this once, and then I'll kind of stop, and then I'll say it again, and I want you to repeat after me. But I'm going to do it once just in this example. So you ready? You ready to clap along with me? Five twelve five five twelve four one twenty one one. Five twelve five five twelve four one twenty one one. Five twelve five five twelve four one twenty one one. Okay. You guys ready? Do you guys think you can do that along with me? So I'm gonna say a first set of numbers and then I'm gonna point at you and then I want you to repeat after me. You ready? So you ready to clap again? Here we go. Five twelve five five twelve four one twenty one one five twelve five five twelve four one twenty one one Man, that was really good. We all stopped at once. But you're probably thinking right now, you're like sitting in your seat, you're like, what are you have me doing? Who are, do you have a guest speaker come, this young guy, and you have us clapping in church, is this Sunday school or something? Well, little did you know is, I just taught you the structure of your entire Bible. Is that when you go to look at your Bible, your Bible is actually put together in different ways, that if you were to read your Bible from beginning Genesis to the end of Revelation, uh, this isn't one chronological story. The, the Bible is actually organized into different groups. And the first group, I know I don't have much room, but I think I'm still on the screen over here, is the very first book of your, your first section is you have five books of the law. That Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you have five books of the law that God is giving the law to the nation of Israel. And then you have five, and then you have twelve, and you have these next twelve books that start with Joshua, and it goes all the way up to Esther, and it's the twelve books of what we call the, our history books. And you guys are just kind of coming off of that series, but it's start giving the history of the nation of Israel, of how they've now become a nation, how they've gone out of Egypt and now are just becoming its own nation. And then you have the five books of poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. You guys are just finishing up Psalms right now, but it's just all this poetry. But then you have your 12 books of your, or sorry, your five books of your major prophets. And then you have your 12 books of your minor prophets. And the only difference between your major prophets and your minor prophets, and why they're called major and minor prophets, is the major prophets are bigger books. They're just longer. The authors had more to say, while your minor prophets are just shorter books in your Bible. But they're still equally God's Word. And then in the New Testament, we got four one twenty one one. You got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have your one history book, just like in the Old Testament. And then you have your 21 letters, your 21 epistles that all are relating back to your history. And then your one book of prophecy here again in the future with the book of Revelation. 
But it's in this we have our structure of our entire Bible, and it allows us to get a little bit better understanding. And you might be thinking, Stephen, why, why do you go through all this if you're talking about the prophets? Why is this important to know all the structure of your Bible? Well, it's really important because of this, and I need to look up here. Remember when I said we have five twelve, five five twelve. We have the we have the five books of your law. You got your twelve books of history, but then you got right here. You got your five books of poetry, right? And then you got your twelve. You got your five books of your major prophets. And you got your twelve minor prophets. Now you need to pay attention with me. I'm going to take my arm and I'm going to put them around my poetry section. I'm going to grab the center. I'm going to grab these major prophets. I'm going to grab my minor prophets. I'm going to put my arms around all these. You ready? I'm going to pick these up. I'm going to walk them over to our history section. And I'm going to drop them. Because what takes place over here in our prophets actually takes place during our history section. That if you were to take all the prophets and take all of these different books, they are taking place within the timeline of our history section. And specifically the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. That you're hearing all of these stories, and we won't be able to understand this prophet section. You won't be able to completely grasp what you're about to read this coming summer if you don't understand when they take place. Because like I said, we have five different major prophets, and then you have twelve minor prophets, but it's in this that they're written at different times. And there's four different time periods that they're written in. There's one, there's actually two books in your prophets that we don't know exact timeline for, but then you have your, your pre-exile prophets, your exile prophets, and your post-exile prophets. So you, where you just kind of read about the nation of Israel. Remember the history section, you have King David and you have King Solomon. But after King Solomon, what ends up happening is the nation of Israel divides into two. You have your northern tribe of Israel, the made of the ten tribes, and then you have your southern tribe of Judah. And they end up dividing. And these prophets, what they end up doing is some of their prophets are going to be speaking specifically to the nation of Israel, to these northern tribes. And then you have some prophets that are speaking specifically to the southern tribe of Judah. And if we don't understand when these books are written and who they're written to, we're going to start to miss the picture. Because an author is going to be, you're going to speak a lot differently if someone's saying, you know what, you're about to go into exile. That's what the, we're going to look at today with the book of Amos. They're going to speak into. Your, this is what's going to happen if you don't change your ways. But then if you look at the book of Ezekiel, he's writing during the exile. He's writing to a people that's currently under slavery in another nation. But then if you start to look at the, the book of Malachi, it's written from the other side saying, what we've come from, we were our own nation, we lost our nation, and now we're back. So how do we continue? And if we begin to understand these different pieces, we're going to be able to better grasp our prophets. And it's with this, with the book of, over with all the different prophets, is that all the prophets are communicating three major things. Three major things. That if you want to summarize your prophets, know these three points because every single prophet will basically follow this exact same thing. And it's this. The first one is Israel, Judah, you need to repent. That you have sinned, that if you want to sum up the prophets in one word, it's repent and turn from your ways. Because the second point is, if you do not repent, 
there will be judgment. And then thirdly, is and this is the amazing blessing of our God, is the third blessing is there's, there is hope beyond the judgment. That the reality is, is every single prophet will say, you know what, you have sinned in some way and you need to repent. If you don't repent, there will, there will be judgment. And the sad reality is, is most of the time people don't repent. But yet, for some crazy reason, God still always provides this idea of there's this hope beyond the judgment. And most of the time, comes in the form of the Messiah, the promise of Jesus is going to come. And it's with this that every single prophet is going to follow these three things. Repent, judgment, but there's always hope. And it's with this that when we look at specifically what kind of judgment you're going to encounter throughout these books, is there's three major sins you're going to see over and over again in all the prophets, and the, the three sins are this. It's the sins of adultery. They're going to worship these other gods, and God's going to say, you know what, you should have no other god except me. And then you have the sin of social injustice. Uh, you're going to see continually that there's a mistreatment of the poor, mistreatment of the widows and, the, and those without a home. And then lastly, there's the sin of what's called religious ritualism. Basically this idea that people believe something or they, they're doing something on the outside, but they don't believe it in their heart. And you're going to see these three sins over and over again through all of your different prophets. And it's helpful to know and recognize these things, especially when we begin to apply these to our own lives. So now that we've kind of done a little bit of an overview of your Bible, looking at how we understand the Bible, where the prophets take place, the message of the prophets, the three major points, and the major sins, I want to take a look and say, you know what, okay, now let's do a little bit of a test study on the book of Amos. And let's see how these points apply to, to this book and how you can, again, apply these to all of your prophets throughout the rest of the year as you continue to read. So we're going to look at the book of Amos. So Amos, again, was written in 760 to 750 B.C. It is debatably the very first prophet that was written. And he's writing to the nation of Israel. He's writing to these northern tribes, and he has something that he has to say. One thing that's really interesting about the prophets that I think is really important is to know the meaning of the name of the prophet. Because if you know the meaning of the name of the prophet, you will often know the purpose of the book. The meaning of Amos means burden or burden bearer. That he's communicating a message that's going to be a burden to those who hear it. And the, his message is this. He's exploring the relationship between God's justice in His mercy. Exploring the relationship between God's justice and His mercy, how God must confront the evil of Israel and the nations around Him. And yet He also still has His long-term purposes that is for the restoration and for a new family. It's in this that God constantly has to uphold His justice and His mercy. So He does this in His book in a very unique way, and I want to give a little bit of a quick outline and a quick background to the book before, again, we jump in. Because when we look at the book of Amos, it's broken up into four major categories. You have basically your introduction in your first two verses. But then in chapter 1 and 2, you have eight different oracles, or just eight different judgment states and statements about different nations, about eight different nations. And he's calling out these different nations. And then in chapters 3 through 6, you have this quick summary of what are the specific sins? What's the judgment against Israel? Because remember, 
Every single prophet is going to communicate to us, you need to repent. If you don't repent, there will be judgment, but there's always hope. So in chapters 3 through 6, he's hinting at the justice judgment that will take place against the nation of Israel if they do not sin, if they do not repent. And then in chapters 7 through 9, he continues his judgment, but he does it in a very unique way. He does it by giving this form of visions. That throughout the prophets, they're going to communicate in different ways. Sometimes the prophet is going to say, thus says the Lord, this is what the Lord says. But other times he's going to communicate his judgment or what the Lord is communicating through the form of visions. And this is going to take place, and we're going to see five different visions uh, in the book of Amos. But then in the very end, like I said, there's always hope beyond the judgment. That the last four verses of the book is giving us a future hope of a restoration of what will come. And this is where we jump into the book of Amos. Because Amos, remember what we said? How we, the prophets, we take, take them up and we carry them and we drop them over in this history section? That if we want to know the book of Amos, we got to look to 2 Kings 14, 23 through 57. But this is what we need to know about the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah at the time. Because this was before they were conquered. Is that both Judah and Israel were a very economic and politically prosperous nation at the time. That they were coming out of Solomon. And Solomon was a very rich guy. And he had a lot of wealth. And, he's, and they're coming out of that time. Amos is going to prophesy. Remember, he's prophesying a burden. Then he's going to say, you know what? This nation, because of your sin, you're going to end up going into exile. And he's going to actually use these surrounding nations to overtake you. And it's with this that it would have been something that was astronomical. Like, this doesn't make any sense. How are these weaker nations going to conquer a strong politically nation of Israel? But it's with this that within a generation, the kingdom is going to cease to exist. Within the book of Amos, you're going to again encounter all three major sins of adultery, religious ritualism, and social injustice. But the big sin that you're constantly going to see throughout the big, uh, book of Amos is the judgment of the poor. That they are just taking advantage of the, of the weak and the poor at the time. And Yahweh finally had enough. That God finally had enough. He said, you know what, I'm going to send Amos a guy from the southern tribe, and I'm going to send him up to the northern tribe. I'm going to send him up to the northern kingdom of Israel because I've had enough. And I have to communicate something to him, but he does it in a very unique way. So again, if you have your Bibles with you now, if you turn with me to the book of Amos, we're kind of going to go through it because God's going to communicate his judgment and his, to the nation of Israel in a unique way. And he starts by looking at the nation at all the different nations. He starts by looking at Syria and Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and Edom and, e- and the Ammonites and Moab and Judah. And he starts to pinpoint all of the other nation's sins of how they beat down the poor. They've sent people into exile. They showed mercy. They showed no mercy to the Israelites. Ammonites even ripped open pregnant women's wombs with swords. And he finally, at the end, the beginning of chapter 2, they... Amos ends up calling out Judah because they rejected the laws of the Lord. And at this point, they remember, there's tension between Israel and Judah. And at this point, Israel is probably thinking, all of these other nations, they deserve this. They deserve this judgment for what they are doing. But then finally, Amos gets to the nation of Israel. 
in chapter 2, verse 6 through 16, he calls them out. He calls them out on all their sins. And if you have your Bibles, I just encourage you to read with me in 2, 6 through 7, because we see all of their sins. It says this, it says, The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel for three crimes, even four, because they sell a righteous person for silver and a needy person for a pair of sandals. They trample the heads of the poor and the dust on the ground, and they obstruct the path of the needy. A man and his father has sexual relations with the same girl, and they profane my holy name. That here is Amos. He comes into the nation of Israel, and he's calling out their sins because God is so upset, because especially of where they came from. That God one time saved them out of the nation of Egypt, and now they're doing the very same things that they was happening to them in Egypt. Look in verse in chapter two, verse ten through sixteen. It says this, chapter two, verse ten. And I brought you from the land of Egypt, and I led you for forty years in the wilderness in order to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised you up as sons as prophets, and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is this not the case, Israel? This is the Lord's declaration. But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, Do not prophesy? Look, I'm about to crush you in your place as a wagon crushes when full of grain. Even the most courageous warriors will flee naked on this day. This is the Lord's declaration. You see, in these first two chapters, God is using Amos to communicate a message of, to the nation of Israel that you have sinned. What's really unique, like I said, is he goes up and he starts by mentioning all the other nations. Well, if you actually look at a map, I wasn't actually able to get you my slides today, but if you start to look at a map, it's really unique because what Amos does is he starts to name all of the nations and cities that surround the nation of Israel. It's as if he's putting a target around Israel saying, you know what, all of these nations around this are doing all of these evil things, and guess what? You're at the center of it. You're the one doing all of it and even worse. And it's because of this that there's going to be judgment if you do not repent. And that's what he continues to do in chapters 3 through 6. In chapters 3 through 6, Amos is again communicating this idea of judgment if there is no repentance. In chapter 3, he, he starts off with something that's really important in verse 2. If you have your Bibles with you, it says this. It says, I have known you only out of the clans of the earth. But therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. You see in verse 2 it says, I have known you. This word to know is the Hebrew word yada, which means it has like this intimate word of knowledge. That in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, to know someone was to have sexual relations with that person, to have an intimate knowledge of that person. And God is saying, I have chosen you, Israel. Like a groom chooses his bride, I have chosen you. I've chosen to know you. He made a promise to Abraham that I was going to bless you for the nations. Right there it says, out of the clans of the earth, that this is this Abrahamic promise. But again, you have destroyed my holy name. And for that, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So in chapter 3, he starts to label and he starts to call out their abuse of the poor. But then in chapter 2, or in chapter 4, he starts to call out their indifference towards God and their just their calloused heart. 
that if you turn with me in starting especially in verse 6, you see this constant tension. Because remember, the book of Amos is about God's justice and His mercy on display. He's constantly trying to hold these two things in tension. That He has to uphold His holy name and yet at the same time wants to display mercy. So if you look at with me in verse 6 through 11, we're going to look at this because there's just some repeating language that Amos continually uses. And you're going to see a constant of this word, I. And this I in, this, in these passages is God, of what He is doing. So in verse 6, I gave you absolutely nothing to eat in all of your cities. And then you see this phrase, and yet you did not return to me. In verse 7, I also withheld rain from you. I set rain on one city, but, no, but not on another. And then at the bottom of verse 8, Yet you did not return to me. I struck you with blight and mildew, and locusts devoured all of your gardens. Yet you did not return to me. I sent plagues like those in Egypt. I caused the stench of your camp to fill your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me. In verse 11, I overthrew some of you like I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet you did not return to me. And then finally, in verse 12, God says, Therefore, this is what I will do to you. Since I have constantly reached out my hand, constantly tried to allow you, would you turn back to me? Would you, rep- would you repent? He finally says this, Therefore, Israel, this is what I will do to you. Since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He is here. The one who formed the mountains and creates the winds and reveals his thoughts to man. The one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides the heights of the earth. The Lord of God of armies. The Lord is his name. That God is constantly trying to reach out to him and he finally says, prepare to meet me, the God of justice. Prepare to meet me. And this is where in chapter... Five and six, it's basically like a funeral letter written to the nation of Israel in which he is calling out their dead religion and their false hope. But again, God being a God of justice and a God of mercy is continually calling them, would you seek me? Would you come back to me? Would you repent to me? Because look in in chapter five, verse four. It says this, it says, for the Lord says this to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel or go to Gilgal or journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into exile and Bethel will come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Or he will spread out like a fire throughout the whole house of Joseph. And then if you jump down with me and you continue in verse 14. He says, pursue good and not evil so that you may live. And the Lord of the God of armies will be with you. As you have claimed, hate evil and love what is good. Establish justice at the city gate. And perhaps the Lord of God of armies will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And this is where God is constantly crying to call out to them again. Would you come back? Would you repent to me? And yet, they do not. And this continues in chapter 6 to the end of where basically God is promising judgment upon the nation of Israel. And then they're going to ultimately go into exile. And this is where in chapters 7 through 9 now, you see these final judgments in the form of visions. And it continues this themes of God's justice and His mercy. Because look with me in chapter 7 now. He says this. 
in verse 2, 7-2, it says, When the locusts finished eating the vegetations of the land, I said, Lord, please forgive. How will Israel, or how will Jacob survive since he is so small? Here he sees a vision of the locusts conquering and eating up all of their land. Talking about farming. Farming was how they communicated. It's how they lived. If they didn't have food, they didn't survive. And he sees this vision of the locusts coming in and eating all of their crops. He says, how will we survive? Lord, would you please forgive? And notice what the Lord does in verse 3. Look with me in your Bibles. The Lord relented concerning this. It will not happen, he said. And then he sees a second vision. He sees a vision of fire. And look in verse 5. He says, Lord, please stop. How will Jacob survive since he is so small? And again, look at what the Lord does. The Lord relented concerning this. This will not happen either. Here it is, God's justice and His mercy. His mercy is on display. But then we get to the third vision, and the vision, the third vision is a little bit different than the first two. Because this time the Lord asks, starts with asking Amos a question. The Lord asked me in verse 8, What do you see, Amos? Amos said, I, I see a plumb line. And for those of you that don't know what a plumb line is, a plumb line is basically a weight with a with a string on the end of it and you would hang it and you would see how vertical a wall is is how true or right a wall is a foundation and you would use this as a form of measurement and what he is saying basically is I'm setting the plumb line in verse 8 among my people of Israel I am seeing I am judging them are they right and true is their wall straight are they obeying my commands and he gives the answer, I'm setting a plumb line among the people of Israel, and I will spare them no longer. Isaac's high places will be deserted. Israel's sanctuaries will be in ruins. I'll rise up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. What he's basically saying is, I have judged the nation of Israel. I have had my holy line, and guess what? They are off kilter. They do not stand through test. And then also in verses 10 through 17, we have this mini like interlude of almost like a physical embodiment of what is actually taking place in the nation of Israel. Because you get this story of the priests of Bethel, which was in the nation of Israel, basically coming to Amos and saying, we're hearing what you're saying, and we would, we would really like you to leave. Like, you can go to the nation of Judah, like, go down there. Like, they will pay you, they'll, you, they'll listen to you, but, like, you're not welcome here. Because we don't like what you have to hear. Notice again what is Amos' response in verse 16. You have your Bibles. Amos seven sixteen. Now you hear the word of the Lord, you say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your lane will be divided up with a measuring line. You yourselves will die on pagan soil, and Israel will certainly go into exile from its homeland. That because they don't want to listen, because they don't want to repent, because they're trying to push away what the Lord has to say, this is what the Lord has to say to them. Is that very soon, you're going to go into exile of Israel. You're going to be the one that's going to be punished. And this is seen in the fourth vision in chapter 8. Because again, and unlike the first two visions, kind of which are clumped together, 
where you have this vision and he's asking the Lord, Amos is asking the Lord to stop. Again, in here, in visions three and four are very similar because again, the Lord asks and starts with a question. And he asks Amos, what do you see? And this time he says, I, I see a summer fruit basket. Or maybe your translation says a ripe fruit basket. Which is basically saying, guess what? Your fruit is ripe. It's ready to be picked. And just as the fruit is ripe and ready to be picked, guess what? The Lord's judgment is ripe. And it's ready to come. It is here and now and it is coming. And this is where you finally get to the fifth vision in chapter 9, where it is a vision of the Lord besides the altar, and it is Him holding the sword now. It is Him causing judgment on the nation of Israel. And it's in all of this that God, again, throughout this entire book, is constantly trying to communicate His justice and His mercy. The prophets are always talking about three major things. Would you repent? If you don't repent, guess what? There will be judgment. But then thirdly and lastly, despite of our own sin, despite of us constantly having these calloused hearts, our God is amazing and He shows mercy because He always promises hope beyond the judgment. And this is where we get in verses 11 through 15 in chapter 9. And this is what it says. It says, In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David and I will repair its gaps. I will restore its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, so that it may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the day of the Lord. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When a plowman will overtake the reaper, and the one who treads grapes and the sower of the seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow into it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy the ruined cities, the plant vineyards and drink their wine. They make gardens and eat their produce. I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted from the land that I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. That he's ultimately, he's promising of a day that he will restore all things. That here in these in the last two chapters, he's promised that the ripe judgment of the Lord is coming. But he promises that he will actually see their crops come to pass. That he will have that sweet wine. That your your walls are going to be destroyed. But here he's promising your walls to be rebuilt. And where this ultimately finds its fulfillment is in the work and the life of Jesus. You see, in, in Acts chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, I'd actually encourage you to turn with me there. To, I would, Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 16, or sorry, let me make sure I get this right, verses 12 through 18. See, here in this, in this chapter, you have Paul and Barnabas, you have the disciples together in a city, and they're trying to figure out, are the Gentiles included to the salvation is God working among the people on the outside? And what they're going to come to see is the Gentiles are included in this. And what they end up quoting is they quote from the book of Amos in chapter 9, verses 11-15, promising the hope beyond the judgment. Read with me. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul and described all the wonders that God had done through the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, 
brothers, listen to me. Simon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophet agree with this that is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild his ruins and set it up again. So that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. That he is ultimately promising how Jesus has been a fulfillment of this. That it's only through Jesus that all of these nations have now been brought in. And he's promising how also the nation of Israel are going to come together under the Lord's name and dwell in his holy tent. And this is the good news of the gospel. You see, the book of Amos is all about a book of showing God's justice and his mercy. That he has to uphold his holy name and yet he still desires to show mercy. And that's the crazy thing about Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth, the book of Amos is all about how the nation of Israel mistreated the poor. And what the, yet the, what the Jewish were thinking about the future Messiah was he was going to be a conquering ruler. A conquering king, but he came not as a conquering king, but he came as the poor. He came as the mistreated. That is, when you start to read the book of Amos, you're going to see how mistreated these people, and Jesus became that. We need to remember that Jesus didn't have a home. He went from place to place looking for someone to take him in. And it's in all of this that Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is that even in the middle of our messes, even in the times, that when we are suffering and experiencing great heartache, God became that for us. Christ went to the cross for us, and He invited us in now. We, the Gentiles, the nations, all of us are only here today because of Jesus. And this is the good news of the book of Amos. That in spite of everything that's going on, God's justice and His mercy is on display so that all the nations and all the families around the world would come together under the name of Jesus. And that's the book of Amos. It is a book describing and exploring the relationship between God's justice and His mercy, how He confronts evil among the nation of Israel and all the different nations that He calls out in the first two chapters, but also how He upholds His long-term mercy and His purpose of the future restoration of a new family one day. So it is with all of this, though, we still have to ask the question today, is how does it apply to us today? And it's with this that I have three different questions that I have for you. I'm going to ask you now, and there's also going to be the questions that you can break up into your groups afterwards for. And the first question is this, and it's the title of my message. Are you ready to listen to God? That Amos was, again, someone who came from the southern tribes of, of Judah, and he went to the northern tribe, and guess what? The northern tribe was not ready to hear what Amos had to say. And my question is to you. If someone came to you today and called you out on your sin, would you be ready to hear from them? I think it's really easy, like when you start to read um, the Old Testament and you read through the prophets and you hear all of these times that God allowed them the opportunity to repent and they don't, and you're like, it really has been easy for me in the past to put myself as an us versus them. Or me versus the Israelites. I'm like, oh, I would have repented. I, I wouldn't have done that. 
I wouldn't have had to go around in the desert in four years. Like, I would have made the right choice. But then when we get really more just practical, if someone came to you today and asked you and called you out on your sin, would you be silent and listen? Would you try to fight back and try to make, say, like, give a defense for why you did what you did? Would you continue in your way? And that's where I guess my prayer for all of us here in the room, especially as you continue to read through the prophets this summer, and actually Scott's the Bible's reading through the prophets this summer, is my prayer for all of us in the room here today is, God, would you soften our hearts? Would you soften our hearts for us to be able to hear you? Whether it's through the words of another person or whether it's through reading through the prophets this summer. Would you soften my heart to allow me the opportunity to repent? In turn, and this kind of leads to my second question: Is is this? Is do you look to God more for His justice or for His mercy? I think it's really easy. I was even talking with my wife earlier today. Is it's really easy to want mercy for yourself and justice for others? It's really easy to ask God, you know what, I want to, I want to experience your mercy, but I want to see your justice on display. And that's where my prayer for all of us again here today is, I wanted us to ask, what is your, your tilt? Do you, do you want more of God's justice or more of His mercy? And what does that say about who you are and who our God is? And how do we rightly find the balance between the two? But then lastly, the third question that I have for us as you go into your small groups is this, is are you living in hope? Again, all the prophets, the message of all the prophets is would you repent? If you don't repent, there will be judgment. But then there's always hope beyond the judgment. And my question for you today is are you living in hope? Because what's true for all of us in here today is we live on the other side of the resurrection. We live on the other side of hope. And God wants us to live in that. Yes, He He wants us to take an introspection of saying, where is the sin in my own life? He wants us to repent. He wants us to come back to Him, but He still wants us to live in hope. And my prayer for all of us in here today, would, would we do that? Would we live in hope, not just as they were looking forward when Jesus was coming the first time, we're looking forward in hope to when Jesus is coming the second time. When He will judge the living and the dead. So my question for you today again is, are you living in hope? Are you living on the other side of the resurrection? Not allowing your sin to define you, but allowing the cross to? And allowing you to walk forward in the hope that He has for you. So my prayer, again, for all of us here in the room today, is that today you would have a little bit of an understanding, not only of how your entire Bible fits together, but how the prophets fit into your Bible, but then how that looks within the book of Amos. And how God loves to display His justice and His mercy in all of our lives. Would you go ahead and bow your heads and would you pray with me?